thrive. We've been talking about that for the last month now, how we are more than just um, accidents, uh, just kind of showing up here accidentally in this life and just kind of meandering our way through life with not much purpose. We were made to thrive. We were made to do more than just get through this life. We were made for more than just uh, surviving. We were made to thrive. And that's what our capital campaign has been about for the last month. That's what our goal here as a church is. That's what our goal here at the school is as well. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you. We're going to be in a couple different places today. One's going to be in Acts chapter 4. The other is John 17. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. Now, while you're turning there, how many of you have noticed that things are uh, changing a little bit right now? The leaves are changing. It's a little bit cooler uh, this morning, and it's uh, it, we're in the middle of football season. Yeah, all right, two of us. That's awesome. You may notice during this time of year that we guys, mostly guys, some of you ladies do this as well, but mostly guys, all around the country, we're kind of glued to our television sets, and some of you maybe make your weekend plans based on which football team's going to do, uh, whether that be collegiately or whether that is uh, in the NFL, whatever the case. Uh, college football in particular is a great American pastime. I love college football when Indiana has a good team. So um, that does not happen a whole lot, but uh, they're I don't know what to think about them this year, but uh, going to find myself glued to the television set probably way more than I should be. But the whole purpose of college football is that everything builds up to the end of the year where you have a big bowl game, and to win a bowl game is a huge deal, and there might not be another bowl as big as the Rose Bowl. Uh, it is the most prestigious, the granddaddy of them all, as Keith Jackson used to say on ABC, and, and college football players, it is their goal, it is their dream to play in the Rose Bowl. It's their dream to uh, be able to participate in something like this. And there's one man who actually lived out his dream, and his name was Roy Regals. He made it to the Rose Bowl. He was able to play in this incredible game, but he did more than just play. He recovered a fumble and he took off running, and he ran almost completely all the way down the field, almost a full 100 yards, making it all the way to the goal line, almost crossing the goal line before he was finally tackled. There's only two problems with this dream that he lived out. The first problem is Roy Regals picked up the football and ran the wrong way with it. And the second problem is he was tackled by his own player who was trying to prevent him from... Uh, causing a safety in his own end zone. So you can look at look up Roy Regal's wrong way. You'll get a kick out of it. It's a great, but, uh, great video. But he, here's the deal. This is a picture of disunity. This is a picture of something that a football team does not want to see, where you got one guy going the wrong direction, you got another guy chasing him down, trying to stop him and pull him back. He, here's what I have seen sometimes uh, throughout ministry. I see some churches sometimes being kind of like that, where we're trying to go one direction, but a person or two might want to go another direction, then another person or two might want to go a different direction, and sometimes the church can be pulled apart, um, and if we have disunity within the church, then, um, then that causes a, a huge problem. Church unity is so important, uh, and, and so I'm, I've, I've just been so amazed throughout this whole campaign how unified I feel like 
we are, uh, again, back to the vote. And, and uh, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not talking to the right people, but I haven't, I probably shouldn't say this, I haven't heard one negative comment yet other than I don't know if we're building it big enough. And so that's awesome to hear those kinds of things. But I want to just kind of reinforce how incredibly important unity is within the church and how we can thrive through being unified in the church. Win Arn, who is a church consultant, he surveyed members of nearly a thousand churches and he asked the question, why does the church exist? And of the members surveyed within those churches, 89% of the people who were surveyed said the church exists to take care of my family's needs and my needs. And for many, the role of the preacher is simply to keep the sheep that are already in the pen happy and not lose too many of them along the way. Only 11% of the people said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Well, then they turn around and they ask the preachers the same question. What is the purpose of the church? Amazingly, the results were exactly the opposite. Of the preachers surveyed, 90% said the purpose of the church is to win the world to Jesus Christ. And only 10% of the preachers said it was to care for the needs of the members of the church. And so it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that uh, a lot of our churches are fractured because the staff, the elders... The members of the church aren't necessarily on the same page, and it's no wonder there's, there's conflict within many churches, there's confusion within many churches, sometimes there's stagnation in our churches because we're all just running in different directions with no particular purpose in mind. And so the starting point for every church should be the question, why do we exist? Until we understand what exactly we exist for, we're not going to have the, the foundation to build on. We're not going to have the motivation to, to want to build. We're not going to have no direction. And then we're going to suffer from disunity within the church. And so we said a couple of years ago, our purpose is uh, we are a community of followers devoted to connecting and serving all people through the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're going to do everything that we can do to reach as many people as possible with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose why we feel like this capital campaign is important is to reach people for Jesus Christ. When you look at the early church, they would do whatever they could possibly do to make sure that as many people were reached with the gospel as possible. So let's look at Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and with great power the apostles were given... The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. And so Jesus had enlisted these followers, these early followers, to not join a group of, of people who were going to live a life of leisure, but he invited this group of followers to live a life of service, even to the point of persecution. And while each person within the church had a different task, they all had the same calling. They all had the same mission, and that was to fulfill the great commission in their generation. They had one leader, and that was Jesus Christ. And they had one purpose, and that was to communicate the gospel to all people. And so these, these early disciples did more for the spread of Christianity than any other generation of followers since. 
And so I think it would be very wise for us to go back, take a look at what they did, and see what we can maybe pull from and copy from in the 21st century so that we might become a church that is doing similar things. Here's the first thing. They had unity in the church of God. If you look at verse 32, all the believers shared in this unity. It wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just the leaders of the church. All the believers were unified. There was this fundamental solidarity of love and of purpose. They were all in heart. Uh, they were one in heart and mind. They were unified with every fiber of their being. And part of the reason that they had this unity is because they didn't look at one another as just members of a church. Okay? They, they looked at each other as family. They saw each other as family. They saw fellow believers as brothers and as sisters, and they all shared this, this spiritual father, God Almighty. They shared a spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth. They were born again into the family of God. And that's how they saw one another, that they were family. And so they were able to put aside differences sometimes because they were family. And, and we need to emulate that in the church because what happens sometimes is when we disagree with one another, we just kind of turn our backs or we just maybe snub them a little bit or maybe we, maybe we just quit going to church altogether, find another church, whatever the case may be. Now, I understand it's difficult sometimes to love some of your family members. Amen? That was supposed to be funny. Uh, because there's some of them out there that, you know, I know the Bible says that, that God loves everyone, and I believe that, and I'm trying, you know. I mean, I've got one or two of those in my own uh, branch of the family, but he, here's the deal. Even though they're family and we might not always get along, and even though you might have family members that you might not always get along with, you still see them as family. You still love them. You still would do anything for them if the need were to arise. That's the way we need to be. The old song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote about 50 years ago, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs. Now think about what that means. We're joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. As heirs of Jesus, or heirs with Jesus of all the promises of God, that means all of the same things that Jesus has in heaven other than the praise. We're, we're heirs to that as well. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side for I'm part of the family. Family of God. And so they saw themselves as family and they saw themselves as friends. They did life together. Okay? They shared their lives. They shared their possessions with one another. It was beyond just a kind word or a pat on the shoulder. They gave priority to meeting the physical and practical needs of the people within the congregation. Those needs that would arise within the congregation and they were evident and people saw them. The Bible says they sold their possessions and just gave it away to people who had need. We need to be more like that. Chuck Swindoll said this, churches need to be less like national shrines and more like bars. Now, wait, hear me out on this, all right? Don't send me an email, okay? Uh, churches need to be less like, and besides Chuck Swindoll said it, I didn't. Uh, churches need to be less like national shrines, more like bars, less like untouchable cathedrals, and more like well-used hospitals, places to bleed in rather than monuments to look at, places where you can take your mask off and let your hair down, place where you can have your wounds dressed. That's what the church is to be. 
And the early disciples, they tapped into that. They found that out, and, and uh, they knew that in the community of faith that they were family and they were friend and they were partners together. They saw each other as partners. These men and women, they shared in this goal together, in this enterprise, in this movement, whatever you want to call it. They shared together. They didn't merely just assemble for family gatherings or for making sure that their physical needs were met. They came together because they had an objective. These men and women were partners for reaching a lost world for Jesus Christ. And so they came together and they linked arms not for their convenience, not just for their comfort, not just for their support, but they came together to reach lost people. They were partnering together. And again, it says they sold their goods and, and whenever there was a need, they, they would meet those, those needs and they would reach out to those who weren't yet linked up with them. I, I read the story of a three-year-old little girl who was lost in an open field and the grass was about waist high and they couldn't see her because she was so, so short. She was below the, the grass and, and once her family realized the situation, uh, they frantically start searching for a great big field, and they call their family and friends, and they're they're they all join in the search, and they're they're going in different directions searching for her, but to no avail. They couldn't find her. Finally, just before it gets dark outside, one of the children in the group offered a suggestion. She said, "Let's join hands and walk together up and down the field to see if that helps." Be and because of them linking arms together and walking through the field together, they were able to find the little girl. And that's kind of a picture that I think that we need to plant in our hearts and in our minds as members of the church. We are a group of people and we have various different backgrounds. We have various interests and we have different perspectives, but we've all been called to the same purpose. And the purpose is to cooperate together in reaching out beyond our walls to make sure as many people know about Jesus Christ as possible. We are in the life-saving business. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think we are poised uh, in a very unique position in the time and life of our church with, with everything that's going on in our world and everything that's going on in, 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 uh, in schools and in our community. And again, not all of public school is bad, so don't kind of, don't, please don't think that's what I'm saying. But, but there are some things that are being taught within the public schools where our children are being indoctrinated in a way that is not biblical. And, and we, we have a very unique opportunity to, to do something that can attract people to hear a Christ-centered education uh, every single day. And we do this together. We are in the life-saving business. And this is something where I think we need, and I would, it's my prayer that we have 100% participation within this campaign because there's strength in numbers. Now, when I say 100% participation, I'm not necessarily talking about financial participation. If that's you and that's the way the Lord has blessed you, please do that. If he's laid that upon, upon your heart, that's between you and the Lord. But if you're in a position where you say, Ron, you don't understand, I don't have another single dime that I can give out. I just can't. W would you agree to pray? Would you agree to support it? Talk positively about it and pray about it? Spencer has printed out this uh, this uh, 
little handout that you can get on the way. Maybe you already picked it up, or you can pick it up on the way out. And this is our prayer week. And so what we're going to ask you to do is we're going to ask you to pray every single day. You might not have a dime that you can contribute, but I believe that the most important thing that you can do is pray for this. Because God owns everything. And if we're praying about this, he's going to supply all of our needs. And so there's something to pray for today, something to pray for uh, tomorrow, something to pray for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're going to have our prayer walk on Wednesday evening. Then we're going to go into a a worship uh, night uh, on Wednesday night as well. We encourage everyone to be here uh, for that. And I appreciate every single one of you who have withheld my birthday present today so you can give money to the campaign. That was very nice of you to do that. Um, appreciate it so much. Um, but in all seriousness, we, we, need, um, we need it. Guys, we've got to do it together. We just have to do it together, whether it's financial, whether it's prayer, whether it's just out and out grunt work, whatever you can do. You know, uh, Look what happened to the early church because they were working together. They experienced the power of God. In verse 33, Uh, We read about how the power of God was with them and and purpose. When we have a goal, there's power in that. Purpose assures us that basically the steering wheel is connected to the engine, you know? And without purpose, we don't have much going on. Without purpose, there's, you know, there's motion, but maybe we don't have emotion. We might be doing something, but we're not all that passionate about it. Or we might have activity, but we might not be accomplishing much of anything. We might be efficient in some of the things we do, but we might not be very effective with some of the things that we do. Think about a light for just a moment. Um, diffused light has no power at all, but when you focus that light, it can have tremendous power. You know, you think about, you hold a magnifying glass up to the sun and you can burn a, a leaf you know I was going to say an ant but I figured you know Peter or somebody might get a hold of me for that but but you can hold that up and you can set something on fire I, I never tried it but science tells me I can when light is concentrated like into the form of a laser it can cut through a block of steel these early disciples had a laser like focus to their purpose and the corresponding result was power in the church And the early church witnessed the power of God like no other church since has. And because of this power, there was tremendous growth, and people were being saved left and right. They experienced growth. In a matter of weeks, the church went from 120 people in the upper room to being in every living room in Jerusalem. It's estimated by scholars that during the first 25 years of the Jerusalem church, it grew from 120 people to over 100,000 people. That's incredible. And because of their laser-like focus, they also were able to withstand, withstand Satan's attacks. As soon as the Spirit came upon the church, that's when Satan launched his ferocious attack on the church. And I think all of us can agree that it's not going to get any easier for the church. When you think about what's going on in our world, it's not going to get easier. Satan's just going to keep throwing stuff at us. When we look at the first church, there was physical violence as church leaders were thrown into prison and they were persecuted for their faith. Then we, we, we keep reading uh, down through the years, generation after generation, because there were humans leading the church and not relying on God. There was moral corruption in the church. We read about Ananias and Sapphira. It didn't even take very long, just a few years. 
And Ananias and Sapphira are allowing evil into the church because they're lying about the collect and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, there's this subtle ploy of professional distraction we saw in the church. And basically what was happening was we, um, we see that the widows and orphans were being neglected because, uh, you know, the elders of the church, they weren't able to... They weren't able to serve like they needed to, and so they were kind of being pulled away and distracted from what they needed to do. So, so the deacons came on board, and and but they were able to get through these these different challenges, these different attacks. And as we grow in the Lord, we're going to be able to see and withstand those attacks that Satan throws at us. We need to stay true to our purpose for what God has called us to. And then they found power in their diversity. They weren't all the same. Not all of them could do the same thing. Not all of them could preach. Not all of them could teach. Not all of them could sing. Not all of them had the gift of service or hospitality. They all had these different diverse gifts. And sometimes that can, when there's diversity within the church, sometimes that can cause division. But they saw it as a source of power. When they saw that they weren't all alike and where this one lacked somewhere, this one made it up, it was incredible. There was all kinds of different opinions going around. There was a wide assortment of gifts, but they found ways to integrate those differences into something beautiful. They had this singleness of spirit. They had this singleness of identity. They had this singleness of purpose. And they were all unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In short, they kind of resembled a band or a symphony. They may have played different notes than the person sitting next to them, or they might have been playing a different instrument than the person sitting next to them. But because of their variety and their diversity, they've created a more magnificent sound than they would have if they were all playing the same instrument or playing the same notes. There was this harmony. There was this beauty in it. And unity exists among diversity because we all follow the same musical score. And I've used this line before, but how many of you, how many of you own a CD of a tuba player? Anybody? Anybody have a, a, a CD of, of a tuba soloist? Anybody got that out there? No, I'm, no, because a tuba was never really meant to be played alone. It is only good in the mix of a band, more specifically a marching band, maybe a mariachi band, not really a worship band even. We're, we're probably not going to have a tuba player up here anytime soon. The only tuba player that I even know is Larry the Cucumber from VeggieTales. Can, can you agree with me? Right? That's the only one. Or imagine a drummer that's playing a different beat than the rest of the band is playing. You know, we're all into worship and, and, and something just... Well, I actually have a video of that. Would you go ahead and play that? I want you guys to watch this and see what can go wrong when we're not together. And I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours. And you I'm not sure that guy was at worship team practice the week before. I'm not real sure 
But when you've got a guy that is so far out there away from playing something completely different than the rest of the team is playing, it's awful. I appreciate Scott. I appreciate Spencer and, how, and, and Peyton and how well they do and how they just kind of, as we were talking, kind of stay in that pocket. He, that guy had no pockets. I mean, that was, that was everywhere. But we, when we stay together and, and we're all kind of playing from the same sheet of music, so to speak, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing and and that's uh, that's kind of what I think I want to see happen here is we're all participating in in what God is asking us to do I think there's going to be a beauty in that and I think because of that we're going to see the favor of God that's what the first church did Acts chapter 4 verse 33 they discovered the favor of God because of all of these other things that they were doing they were unified in their purpose they were committed to the task that God had them to do of reaching the world for the gospel uh, or with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible says God smiled down on them with favor and great grace was on all of them grace as you know means unmerited love or favor God's riches at Christ's expense that's an acronym did I say that right acronym acrostic acronym I never get it right anyway whatever it is God's riches at Christ's expense grace right because they were generous God was generous to them even more because their heart broke for the same things that broke God's heart. God smiled upon them because they held in high esteem the purpose of Jesus Christ. God held them in a high esteem. And it seems to me there exists this direct correlation both as individuals and as the church between the faithfulness to God's plan and God's favor in our lives. And so if we want to experience God's blessings, we need to first be obedient to His purpose. Let me see if I can illustrate this very quickly. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's an 80s movie, so some of you young people probably never even heard of it. Chariots of Fire, great movie. Uh, the main character in that, he chose uh, to prepare for the Olympic Games instead of uh, return to China as a missionary. And his purpose, the reason he said is, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric Little, Liddell, what, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but found his purpose and ran to Olympic stardom. And following his Olympic feat, he returned to the mission field in China, and there he fulfilled his purpose there as well. And he felt God's pleasure as a missionary as well. Or as novelist Robin Jones Gunn said, if you agree to say yes to God's purpose for your life, you'll never be bored with Jesus Christ. And I don't know, it just seems to me, I talk to more and more Christians who just have kind of stagnated. I don't know if I'd say the word bored or not, but just kind of ho-hum, just kind of playing the game, just kind of checking off our boxes as we go. If you agree to say yes to God's purpose for your life, you'll never be bored again with Jesus Christ. Fourth and finally, they were the answer to the prayer of God. John chapter 17, verse 21, 23. Finally, on the last night of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer. Um, it serves as an example for, for all of us. Jesus said, I, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. These words are so precious. Knowing that the end of his life was near, Jesus prayed one final time for his followers. And you know what I notice in this? It's incredibly interesting to me that as, as, bre- as death is breathing down his neck, Jesus does not pray for the success of the church. He doesn't pray for their safety. He doesn't pray for their happiness. He prayed for their unity. He prayed that they would fulfill his purpose. He prayed that they would love each other. And that as they went forward, the world would love him as well. He prayed for his disciples and for all those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, who would eventually become his followers. And that means Jesus, way back then, was praying for you. He was praying for me. And his prayer was that you and I and all of us are one. Of all the lessons we can draw from these verses, don't miss the most important. Unity matters to God. The father doesn't want his kids to squabble. How many of you like it when your kids fight? Yeah, no, no, no. Disunity disturbs the father. Why? Because here's what he said, and I'll just close with this. I'm going to wrap this up a little earlier than planned because um, I just need to. Uh, so if the worship team would come, I want us to read this verse out loud together from the screen, John 13, 35. Let's read it together. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does this mean? How do we love one another? How do we stay unified? Do we compromise our convictions? No. Does that mean we abandon some of the truths that we cherish? Absolutely not. But it does mean that we look long and hard into some of the attitudes that we carry sometimes. Because unity does not begin in us examining others. Unity begins in us examining ourselves. Unity begins not in demanding that other people change, but in admitting that we're not perfect ourselves. And unity grows as we learn to accept differences of other people and to forgive when we've been wronged. And unity continues as we humbly serve one another, and we serve those who are different than us, as Ben Merrill said. I'm willing to accept some things that I don't like in order to reach uh, people who are not like me. And so that's our purpose. And I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And maybe there are some of you here this morning that uh, maybe... uh, Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. Or, or maybe you have, and maybe you just kind of, uh, like I said a moment ago, some of you have kind of um, just stagnated, don't feel much purpose. Maybe you just need to take care of some business between you and him right now and say, Lord, forgive me, and, and start working your way back to him. Maybe you'd like someone to pray 
with you this morning. Maybe there's someone here that needs to be baptized to become a part of our church family. Whatever that need may be, maybe you're watching online and you want to text the word ready to our church connection number that's on the screen there. We'd love to. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and if you have a need, and while we sing this song, 